Hey, Freethinkers. Welcome or welcome back to Subtle Rampage Podcast, where we discuss the things that I feel like discussing. Sometimes those are things of a political nature, sometimes they're things of a cultural nature. Usually it's a little bit of both because those things tend to intertwine, intersect uh, quite a bit. But I'm quite excited for y'all to watch or listen or whatever to today's episode. We have a very special guest, Dr. Michael J. Schwartz. He is the author of Fauci's Fiction, How the Government and Modern Medicine Missed the Boat on COVID-19 from day one. Dr. Schwartz is not a medical doctor, as he'll mention in our conversation, but he's a numbers guy. He owns a company consisting of two medical facilities and a traveling clinic, and he and his staff conducted over 40,000 tests on over 19,000 patients during all of the COVID stuffs. Uh, he's also got about 15 years of experience in laboratory services and genetic testing. Now, Feelings and frustrations uh, surrounding mandated testing and mandates in general aside, okay, put that all to the side for a second. I know how you feel about it. I know how I feel about it. I, I know that we don't really care for it, right? But um, but Dr. Schwartz and his staff, okay, they kept track of every single patient that came in their doors to test for COVID-19. Um, and that means that they have a crap ton of data on what COVID actually looked like. They had a crap ton of data on what COVID actually looked like. And you'll hear him say in our conversation, and if you ever do pick up the book that we're gonna talk about, he writes that he and his staff like had the data a month into all of this to pretty much be like, these mandates aren't necessary, these lockdowns aren't necessary, none of this is necessary. Um, so that's that's kind of what we're dealing with here like so many others who tried to get the truth out who tried to get this information out during all of this they were often ignored often shut down uh you know some censorship online plays into this a bit so we'll 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 discuss a little bit of that but yeah um you guys will have to let me know what you think uh in the comments or send me a message on facebook or instagram at subtle rampage podcast i'll put the links to dr schwartz's book and podcast and all of that stuff in the description below so you can check that out if you desire to um but yeah enjoy the conversation i think i speak for myself and at least some of the audience members that i've talked to in preparation for this thank you for coming on to the show um i'm very interested in hearing your perspective as i'm sure some of my listeners are um i have read through your entire book fauci's fiction um so to get us started off why don't you give me a little bit of a spiel as to what drove you to write the book uh how that process went for you and how you're kind of feeling about it well, first, let me thank you for having me on and thank you for taking the time to read the book. I see you have a lot of notes there. So, uh, you know, <laughs> that's good. Um, I, I was the first guy, first company in New Jersey. We, our company was the first ones to do a COVID test. And uh, that, that kind of happened by happenstance. We, were, we have done respiratory pathogen panels for the life of the business. That's where my, I always explain it. My patients knew what COVID swabs were before the rest of the world did, because if you came to us sick, we were going to swab you and send it off to the lab to see what it was. So a lot of the boutique labs that I worked with, uh, one of them in particular was one of the first 30 in the nation to get approval to do COVID testing. So we were just ready to go right off the bat. I didn't expect to get into the COVID market. It just kind of, like I said, happened happenstance, but uh, we were happy to participate, a little nervous to participate at first because we didn't know what to expect. After we acquired 19,000 patients and did 44,000 tests and started to see different trends that weren't exactly being told to the public on, uh, on, on the, the mainstream media uh, or the government, we said, hey, 
it, it might be time to write a book. But I also had about, I don't know, a couple hundred patients. I'd have this conversation for an hour with them about masks, about vaccines, about how viruses transmit. And enough of them finally said, you really need to write a book. And and finally sat down and did it. I gotcha. Well, um, as a writer, not a full-time writer, but I do write articles for the Tennessee Conservative. So I do a little bit of that nonfiction writing myself. Um, and also as a young person who goes into bookstores, that was one of my big things over the last few years is going into these bookstores and seeing this insane amount of books on COVID but I would pick them up and they were all written by liberal journalists pushed out by these big left-leaning organizations and publications. And the whole time I'm just thinking, is nobody on our side going to write something that talks about what was actually going on? I'm like, people are going to look back on this in 30 years, 40 years, like when I have kids and they're going to be learning in schools what happened during COVID based off of what's been written about it. And that's what's been written about it. So reading your book, I was I was just very pleased to see a different perspective. Well, as you know, and, and so for someone who's read the book, I, I wrote it with no political agenda. I, I just wanted to let the facts speak for themselves. There is no opinion in the book. Uh, a lot of folks are, you know, you, you already held it up, but everybody thinks this cover has to do with Anthony Fauci. He's only mentioned three times in the entire book. Um, mm -hmm. Even though it's called Fauci's Fiction, the book isn't about Fauci, but yet has everything to do with Fauci. I is a metaphorical cover and because you know he was the face of covid along with dr burks and just about everybody else on tv and all the talking heads he gets the brunt of the cover because everybody knows who fauci is it wouldn't make sense if it was called burks's fiction but um yes. yeah it, it it i tried to keep politics out of it <laughs> yeah no it's uh it's definitely an interesting cover um i was reading it at the kitchen table one night and my 10 year old brother like looked at it and he was like that's creepy and i, I was like yes it is and i think that's the point um, but yeah no definitely uh an attention grabbing cover which is kind of important so <laughs> it's working it's it's actually triggering liberals left and right uh the folks i have a couple ads out on social media and the folks who haven't read a page they're the first ones to comment on the cover and they, they say the most nasty, vile things. Uh, it, you really you really can see the dichotomy in this country when you see. And don't get me wrong. There's some there's some nuts on our side, too. Uh, mm -hmm. But the majority of the nuts are from the opposite side of where you and I vote. Uh, it, it is kind of disturbing, to say the least. But th these are folks that haven't read a page, don't understand what's in it, but uh, make a lot of assumptions about life. And I find that, you know, between you and I, we can have this conversation. But I think. A lot of folks vote that way as well. It's an emotional response versus a, hey, I want to know the, the data and what's really going on inside there. Oh, most definitely. The assumptions are uh, big when it comes to anything that is remotely political. That's why I, I have blue hair right now is because I thought it would be interesting to see the people on the right's reaction to just blue hair without knowing that I'm conservative. And uh, some of the comments that I've received are quite amusing, but it just goes to show uh, just like with your cover and some of the immediate emotional responses, just like people don't take a second and go, okay, well, what is actually in this book? What is actually behind this person? You know, but well, much like yourself, they're judging a book by its cover. Almost definitely. Um, but so you go with the title, Dr. Michael Schwartz. You have uh, an education in academia. It's pretty common for people with uh, PhDs or doctorate degrees to go by the title doctor. Um, but those outside of the academic sphere might not really understand that. They might be a little confused. Um, since you are kind of in the medical field a little bit, 
And so I just want to kind of establish your authority over this subject matter before we get into it uh, so that people understand that you seem to be the first to say you're not a medical doctor, but I do want to kind of give them an understanding of what medical certifications do you have? How much time have you spent in the medical field? Um, and what else do you do? Sure. Uh, I have five degrees. Three of them are in business. My doctorate's in business administration. And the book, just so you know, the book is not a medical book. The, the book is an analytical book, and that's what I do. I analyze data. Uh, but I own three medical clinics, so I also have a couple medical certifications. I have CCMA, CPT, and I manage medical staff, MDs, DOs, and you know, NPs, PAs. So I have a, uh, a world of uh, wealth of knowledge in the medical field and, and a limited medical training, but I manage staff all day. So we, we take the data that my medical staff derives and then we analyze it. That's kind of where this comes from. But I also have a little bit more of a diverse background. I've been in business for 30 years. Uh, I am a former police officer. I also do stand-up comedy, believe it or not. So I've been doing that over 20 years. Uh, and I try to add a little a little, little humor in the book too to keep it not so boring for the layperson because there's a lot of science in there. But I've owned businesses for 30 plus years. Uh, I'm a private pilot. I play a lot of baseball. I like long walks on the beach. Then I can go on and on about my hobbies. Uh, but my, 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 my background primarily is in business and business analytics. Although I do have a medical background for the last about 15 years uh, in genetics. I do a lot of genetic consulting in the office. We do a lot of genetic testing, pharmacogenetics, cancer genetics. Uh, I have a, a little bit more of a diverse background when it comes to laboratory services, which would be the stuff that we're talking about here, the respiratory pathogen panels, the genetic testing. Uh, and that's where my medical background kind of melds with my my business background. But the book is, is purely analytical. Uh, it doesn't give medical advice. It just tells you what's based uh, what we recommended based on the data that we see. Mm -hmm. um, and now I read the whole book, as I've said, and I particularly, you know, speaking as somebody who has kind of been aware of a lot of the uh, falsified information that's been pushed out over the last several years. Um, I was kind of aware of the shadiness of things right off the bat, um, my family as well. So reading through some of the book, I was like, yes, I know this. Yes, perfect. Yes, this is spot on. Um, but as I got into the last few chapters that you wrote on natural immunity and antibodies and antibody testing and the vaccines, I found those particularly interesting because uh, as I think a lot of people experienced throughout the COVID stuff, um, this feeling of something is off, but I don't know, I can't look at it and go, this, this is what's off, this is why it's off, uh, this is how it's off. And so I, I really appreciated the explanations that were present in those few chapters. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and tell me a little bit. I know you talk about somebody you know who wrote a book who kind of helped you through the process of publishing a book. Um, what did that look like? Because this is your first publication, right? Yeah. So she's a great friend of mine. Her and her husband are great friends of mine down from Key West. And she's a very accomplished author. She sold well over a million books, but she has, I think, about 32 novels out. Very different from what I do. She writes fiction. I write nonfiction. But uh, listening to her, being a little bit inspired and having every, all of my patients put in my ear that I needed her to write a book, I approached her and said, hey, I have an interest in doing this. So I, once, once I kind of started and planted the seed, I eventually sat down and wrote an introduction, chapter one and chapter two. The first thing I did was I sent it off to her and I said, hey, what do you think? Because I, if I'm no good at this, I don't want to continue down the path of, you know, obliteration here. Let me give me your honest opinion. So she got back to me, said, give me a couple of days. 
And uh, she, she had some very warm comments. She said things like, you have a, a voice here. Uh, this is really interesting. You, you, you definitely can write. I think you need to move forward. And she said, to ease my mind, she said, when you're, when you're done, I have all of the pieces of the puzzle to help you. I have editors. I have formatters. I have cover designers. You can, you can vet them. You can look at them and see what's best for you. But I will help ease that process. And little did I know she actually teaches a class on this and I didn't have to pay for the class. Thank God, because she's a very good friend, her and her husband. And we go out to dinner all the time. So she really helped walk me through the process, but it, it took, it took me, I want to say close to nine months. I wanted to have the book out a little bit earlier, but my, my father passed away during the process, uh, which, which kind of put a, a wrench in it. Uh, I, 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 there's not much writing you can do when you're, you're going through the, you know, the funeral and everything else that you're doing. Um, but I was able to then include my dad in the book. So it kind of immortalized him a little bit. I was able to pay homage to my father in the book, uh, because that happened. And I'm, I'm proud of that. I get to, you know, keep his name going a little bit. Yeah, no, I definitely appreciated um, how, how you approached that. When I read the dedication uh, at the front of your book and you were talking about your dad, I didn't realize till I got to the end of the book um, what the circumstances actually were around his passing. And that was honestly very hard to read. And I'm sure that it was hard enough as somebody who doesn't have, you know, that experience of seeing the data come in and watching everything play out and like knowing exactly what is uh, being lied about or being perpetuated. Um, it was hard enough to like be talking to people in my life and then not being listened to. But uh, you were somebody who was seeing everything thing come in. You were trying to tell people, hey, this vaccine, maybe not the best idea. Hey, this, uh, you know, at home testing, not really that effective, not really that reliable. Um, and it seems like there were some people that weren't really listening to you. Well, we still have the same problem today. I had a woman come in the office today and she's been a patient. And, you know, you can't have this conversation with every patient and not every patient of mine has read the book. So you don't know who knows what. But this patient came in. She wasn't feeling well. My my nurse practitioner was swabbing her like we've done for years before COVID existed. And the first thing out of her mouth was, well, I'm not worried about COVID. She was associating the swab with COVID, not realizing that, well, we want to test you for everything. You, you, you have something going on. And yeah, COVID might be it because it is also on the panel. But we still have this problem today. That's kind of why I, I got into the process. You, you, you're having this conversation. You're seeing things come in. I explained to people, we didn't know all of this at one time. It was kind of bifurcated. You, you, you go through testing a couple hundred patients in a month and you start to relay that to the next grouping of patients. This is what we see. This is what we see. So the first grouping of patients, we're testing them and we're realizing, hey, first of all, as you've read, 90% of my positive patient load was asymptomatic. That's probably the biggest data point that, that you know, sticks out in people's minds because, and I can relate that to, to everyday life. There's still conversations I have with people where they'll say to me, hey, I had it, uh, but my husband never caught it. And, and, and I'll say, were you symptomatic? And they'll say, yeah. And I'll say, no, then your husband had it. And they'll say, no, 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 he would have known. He would have had symptoms. And I have to explain to them, 90% of my positive patients never had a symptom. And they come back with, no, 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 no. He's autoimmune disease. He would have known. And, no, no, no. You wouldn't have known. <laughs> you have to explain this to people. Which when you do that over and over, Adelia, it's like you can you're seeing it firsthand, but you're trying to relay all this information to the grouping of patients. But they're watching, like you said, TV. They're being I don't want to say they're necessarily being lied to, but leaving information out is the same as lying to people. We we didn't get into the vaccines till way later down the road. In the beginning, it just had to do with testing, trying to explain to people, hey, look, 
the, this grouping of patients, they even if they had symptoms, they they once the fever broke, two days later they were fine. Those patients would call me because we would keep in touch with these patients. I called, by the way, and you know this, every single positive patient that I ever had to go over their symptomology, record it. Uh, follow up with them to make sure they were okay and see what they were doing. But we also wanted to learn, you know, this wasn't just, Hey, you're positive. See you later. Bye. This was, Hey, you're positive. Can you tell me what's going on? I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm going to call you the next day. And I want to kind of see what the flow is of this. We want to record something. We want to learn that. So that not only can we help those patients, but we can help the next grouping of patients. And that's where we started to look at all this data and start to see trends. What we saw was Again, 90% of our positive load, asymptomatic or mild, most people would recover quite nicely with a very basic regimen that we use, which was vitamin D, uh, three to 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C, double dose of D, zinc, electrolytes. That was our basic regimen we use the entire time. And then we get into things like proning. And of course, if anybody had any symptoms where they felt like they needed a medical attention, it was go to the ER. But we only had four patients out of 4,000 positives ever go to the ER. And that was because of dehydration. They were a little bit older, had nothing to do with COVID. But what you find in the, in the totality of the circumstances is that most of the folks who were sick had a co-infection. See, COVID, I explained to people, is not just negative or positive. And this is what people, three years, you think everybody would know this. They don't understand this yet. You're either, you either don't have it, or when you do have it, the three caveats that are very important are what is your viral load, which is measured logarithmically uh, on, a, on a PCR test, you know, uh, um, and, and I can get into that later. Second caveat is do you have a co-infection, which most of the ones who were sick did, and usually it was staph aureus, and do you have any comorbidities? You have to know the 30,000 foot view of your patients to really put COVID in perspective. The, the guy who tells you, you know, a year later, I had COVID and it was so bad. And you go, well, did you have any co-infection? Well, I don't know. Well, what was your CT value? Well, I don't know. You, that skews the data. You really need to look at, and I have all of that data on thousands and thousands of patients. Not only do we have that data, we have what's called horizontal data. That's where we test the same grouping of patients every single week for years. So I have a couple groupings of that where I can tell you that these three cops had COVID, you know, four times or what their CT value was. If they had a COVID, I could tell you their symptomology, the whole nine yards. Then I could also tell you when they got vaccinated, because we also did antibody testing, how long those antibodies lasted, how long they lasted when they had COVID, how long they lasted after they had the vaccine. We compared the data. So th there's, a, there's a lot more to COVID than most people really understand and of course what the media told them they they never gave them the full picture mm -hmm. well um myself and a lot of people in my circles at the time uh once we realized that you know covid wasn't really the drop dead in the streets pandemic that we thought it was the first few weeks i think a lot of people i knew just decided that they weren't going to get tested at all. I've never personally been tested for COVID-19. And I also haven't been any other sort of sick that would require me to go get a PCR test or anything to figure that out. That doesn't mean that I haven't had it and been asymptomatic. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but then I also knew people in my circles who, similarly to what you guys were doing, if they caught it, they wanted to know and they wanted to know everything they could possibly pin down because they couldn't find certain information in the beginning of things. They couldn't find certain information um, in 2020 by just Googling it. And so if they caught it, they wanted to know and they wanted to know what treatments were working for them and what wasn't. Um, so I think it's personally like as much as I'm not like 
Western medicine, hoorah. I think it is cool that you did take the opportunity uh, for what it was to actually gather the data and actually follow up on your patients and keep track of what was going on. So that now you have something reliable to show others and look back on. Yeah, I and mean, I think the, the point of the book though is that we knew a lot of this very early on and we, we could have avoided all of the nonsense that we went through, the lockdown, the, you know, the learning curve, kids being out of school, the suicide rate going up. It's a shame that we had to go through this exercise when we ha when we knew a lot of this information early on. And, and look, I say in the book, COVID is very real. I mean, there are people, if, but, but you understand every respiratory pathogen panel can bring you down. A respiratory uh, pathogen can bring you down. RSV, the common cold, which is human rhinovirus. There's 31 things on our respiratory pathogen panel. Some of them are bacterial, some of them are viral, and there's one fungal pathogen, which I'm sure you remember reading about. Uh, you have to know what you're treating. So. And I understand the whole didn't want to get tested. I have a lot of patients like you who said, I don't care. I don't want to get tested. But that's what gave us the ammunition to shut this down. Um, the, the mass testing, if everybody tested all at the same time and everybody was actually looking at and recording the data like I was, you would have realized that, you know, hey, you had it. Maybe you probably did it. The most, most people have had it multiple times at this point. It has circulated the globe. So if you did have it, it would be nice to know when you had it. Uh, if what any any kind of symptomology you did have, because most folks, it's funny, you call people up and say, hey, you're positive, and they go, but I don't have any symptoms. All I have is a headache. And they go, well, actually, that's the most common symptom of COVID. It's a headache. And people don't realize it has to do with hemoglobin uptake issues. There's white paper out of Germany that we studied early on to tell us that. So a lot of folks came together by looking at data, and you would start to correlate it. I'm talking to my immunologist every single week about what he's seeing in his lab, and I'm telling him what we're seeing on the ground. We're putting all that data together, and you're 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 starting to look at trend lines and predict this thing out. When I predicted the the the, the transmissibility early on, a friend of mine who I read about, Phil, in the book, he he still tells me to this day. I, I still have that paper he said where you wrote all those numbers down, and I predicted how many people would have it in six weeks, six months. So he still talks about that. He was, how did you know? I said, it's just, it's just math. We just kind of looked at it and said, let's do a linear regression analysis and see what makes the most sense. But how do you know unless you're testing, right? It begged the question. It's another line I brought up in the book. When we started to realize this, I said to my immunologist at one point on a phone conversation, I said, I wonder how many asymptomatic flus are in the world every year. And it kind of blew his mind because we don't test everybody during flu season to see if, you know, Delia has it, if Mike has it. We don't do that. We just, if you're sick, you go to the doctor, you diagnose it, you move on. But if we tested everybody at flu season, you'd be surprised. And I always tell people now what I've learned from doing all this mass testing. When I go into a room of 100 people and I'll tell a friend, I'll say, I guarantee you half of them right now, at least, if not more, are fighting off something that they'll, you know, never know they had because your body is fighting it off. When your CT value is so high, the sensitivity of PCR testing is interesting. And when, once people understand that, they kind of understand the, the asymptomaticness of the COVID world. Because a lot of folks will call me and say, uh, I, I, there's no way I had it. It was a, it was a false positive. And I'll say, you cannot fool a PCR test, period. When, when the sensitivity of PCR testing goes logarithmic, it's not linear. So it doesn't go one, two, three, four, five. It goes one, 10 times, then a hundred times and a thousand times the original sensitivity and so on. 10,000, hundred thousand, you know, million, 10 million, hundred million, all the way to level 36. So looking for COVID at level one is like looking for COVID on my cell phone, but looking for COVID at level 36 is like looking for COVID in the solar system. At that solar system level, I only need nine copies of a virus to tell me it, it, it's in your system, it bound and it replicated. But you're not going to have a symptom at that level because it hasn't replicated to the point of destroying the mitochondria of your cells and making you feel run down or settling in your in your lungs or whatever wherever it's settled in your body at that point. 
Most people that came in between a level 27 and 36 did not have a symptom. Their body fought it off naturally and they felt fine. That's where you might get a slight headache or, you know, whatever. And, oh, I never had COVID because people expect you to have a cough, a fever, shortness of breath. No, those are major symptoms of COVID. But if you have RSV or the common cold or flu A or flu B, you can get those symptoms if your body is run down. So it, 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 COVID is very real, but it is not the, the, the death rate of this thing. The mortality rate of COVID is probably that of the flu, just about equal to the flu, maybe slightly higher. And even if it's double that of the flu, we wouldn't have shut the entire world down if we knew that early on. And we did know that early on based on our data, but all of the censorship, even now, Adeli, when I go to promote this book on Amazon, Amazon is one of my distributors. I can spend money to bump this up, those sponsored ads. They sent me three letters back saying they can't do that due to current events. Okay. I thought I thought getting the truth out about this was more important than somebody's view, because this is coming from someone who hasn't, again, read it. They're just looking at this cover going, that's going to trigger too many people. I wrote this to get the truth out about COVID. Sometimes it gets a little sciencey explaining all this stuff. But once you understand that 30,000 foot view of it, it really just it, the, the light switch goes off and you go, I get it now. My goal was to make sure we never have to have an exercise like this again. But mass testing got us there. Information is power. You go into the doctor and saying, I want a proper test, not doing a home test. And I can explain all that to your listeners to make sure that you understand what you have. If you have that co-infection, understanding what your CT value is, so you have it in totality and how it affected you. It gives you a lot of personal information to move forward. I'm not surprised by the Amazon stuff at all. Um, I know that some of the people that I asked if they had any questions for you for this interview, um, some of them were trying to Google you and Google the book and everything. And I was like, I don't even be surprised if not much comes up because, I mean, Google censor it right out. Everything censors it right I, out. I have a story for you about that if you'll indulge me. I will. Go ahead. I, I actually, I was, I was talking to Dan Ball the other day at OAN. I just did an interview with him and I went online, went to Google Bard and uh, I encourage anybody to do this because this is interesting. So I go to Google Bard and I said, what is Fauci's book, Fauci's fiction book? And it said, Fauci's fiction book is a book released by Dr. Michael J. Schwartz on June of 2023. And then after everything it said after that was completely fabricated. It actually said that I had a review from the New York Times, the LA Times and the Washington Post. It cited those reviews. Uh, it, it, it gave false information. And I, you know, I mentioned Fauci three times in this whole book. It said, I accuse Fauci of profiting off COVID. That's nowhere in the book. You know that you read it. Uh, I then asked Google Bard, I said, can you give me examples? So it shows sure. And it spits out all these examples, which were completely untrue. So I asked it again. I said, can you cite page numbers from the book? And then it again said, sure, on page 32, Schwartz said this. And I'm looking at the quote and I'm like, I didn't write that. So I go to page 32. Not only is it not on page 32, it's not even in the book. It said the same thing on page 34 and it continued on page 38. So I sent a message off to Dan Ball and I said, hey, if you want a, another story, this Google I, AI nonsense, it's, it's like somebody programmed this with a woke conscience or I don't know where this information is coming from, but everything it's telling you about my book is not even remotely close to what's in the book. So I, it's a little shocking. Um, you can Google this book and find it everywhere. I have two distributors. So you'll find it on Goodreads, Thrift Books, uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It is all over the place. And there's a lot of news articles, uh, TV shows, radio shows, podcasts. But if you Google specific information about the book, I'm telling you, AI literally made it up. It is incredible 
and, and you should look into that a little bit. It is something your listeners might want to know. That's crazy. That, to all you college students out there, this is exactly why AI is not a reliable source for like, give me sources on this or give me page reference numbers for this because it literally will just pick whatever it feels like picking. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. I'll email you the um, the thing I printed out that I sent to Dan. You can look at it just so you, you know what I'm talking about, but for your personal, uh, it's it's interesting. You should check it out. Oh, most definitely. Please do email me that. I want to go ahead and get into uh, a few of the questions that people had for you. This one kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking about, but I do want to preface this by asking you, um, I know because I read the book, but you were talking about the fact that you were testing the same people pretty much every week for a prolonged amount of time. And so you had clients who were what, businesses or you know, were you testing people's employees on a regular basis? Like what, what was the nature of your clientele? Uh, a couple of them were police departments, municipal contracts. Some of them, one was a sewage plant, uh, a couple sewage plants that we had all the workers that we had to test. Uh, a couple of them, a lot of them actually were assisted livings where they would test the entire population of the folks that live there, plus all of the workers. And uh, they got mandated by the state of New Jersey to test once a week. Mm-hmm. Okay, so somebody asked if you could talk a bit about the different kinds of tests that are available for someone who thinks they might have COVID-19 and then the validity of those tests. Okay, so we talked about CT value before, about how a PCR test uh, for, uh, for on, on the CT value scale. In contrast, and this is, this is interesting, so the only appropriate way to test for and diagnose COVID-19 is on a PCR test. I will laugh at patients, and I don't mean to do that maliciously, but at this point, I'm like, the book is out. You can read it. You, you've access to me. You should know this. When they come in my office and say, I had COVID last month, and I say, how do you know? And they say, home test. I literally laugh in their face. On a PCR test, it is so specific. It is so accurate. And we talked about that scale. In contrast, instead of nine copies of a virus at the, at the level 36, for a rapid antigen test, I need 10 to the 6th to 10 to the ninth power of virus to turn that little card blue. So what does that mean? Instead of nine copies of a virus, I need 9 million to 9 billion copies to turn that rapid test positive. So as a scientist and as somebody who thinks a little bit more scientific, and I'll explain this to your listener, if you come in at, uh, positive on a rapid test, it only tells me one thing. It tells me you have enough virus that you definitely have something because a rapid card can turn blue for any coronavirus, including the common cold. There are seven we test for in the office. So scientifically, that 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 positive tells me zero, except that you have something, and it's it could be COVID, but I've seen a lot of ones come back with human rhinovirus. And a negative tells me even less because you need so much spread in a virus to turn that card blue. So you can't, you cannot scientifically diagnose COVID on a rapid test. And I'll explain that to your listeners. If you want to get into the politics of it later, remind me to tell you how the government made the COVID numbers disappear because it has a lot to do with that. Something else that you mentioned in the book about the at-home tests specifically is that th those, those weren't getting reported to any sort of database or anything. So it's not like you know, numbers were reflecting anything that people were taking at home. All right. So you kind of, now you, now you, you delved into what I just mentioned. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> How about uh, it? Oh, I will do it. I mean, and, and I didn't think about this until later because you don't kind of realize what's going on in the political scheme. But as you're doing this every day, you start to go, wait a minute, that's not accurate. Oh, okay. Now I'm starting to put two and two together. So if you remember, remember looking at Worldometer and you had that, that curve going up of cases in the beginning, that, line of cases going up, that wasn't the amount of cases out there. That was the amount of COVID cases we could catch up with 
in the beginning because we didn't have any testing. Nobody was testing. I had no supplies. I mean, we would go through 10 swabs and have to source another 10. And meanwhile, I had 50 people a week call me or more. So it took a while. And then the labs did something ingenious. The labs actually validated buckle swabs with their own medium. They got it approved by the FDA so that they can use other swabs instead of nasopharyngeal swabs until the, the market caught up with the supply chain demands that we were having in the beginning. It was nuts. You couldn't get gloves. You couldn't get mash. You couldn't get anything in the beginning. Um, and that's another story for another podcast. But those numbers that you saw going up was a microcosm of what was out there. Once the labs came out with this ingenious idea of validating uh, buckle swabs and the CARES Act came out, this is the important part. Before the CARES Act existed, you had to have one of three symptoms or a combination, cough, fever, or shortness of breath. Do you remember no symptoms, no test? Mm-hmm. You have to have a medical necessity to run a, a, a medical test. In the beginning, if you did not have a symptom, I could not test you. So I was very limited. But once the CARES Act came out, the CARES Act specified that anybody in the country could get a test at any time for any reason. So you would you would come in, some guy would come in and say, I was exposed to someone who was exposed to someone who was like, okay, you have any symptoms? No, all right, I can test you. When the CARES Act came out and we had access to testing, that number, that spike, all of a sudden went off the chart. You can't even see it on the screen. It just went nuts. And you realize that everybody in the country has COVID. Now, at that time, I had said to my staff, if we would have tested, and that didn't happen for a couple months after it started, but I said, if we would have tested everybody in February or March of 2020, you would have probably found that everybody had it at that time. It had spread rampant. We just weren't really, really talking about it. So those numbers go off the chart and, and, and off the screen. As soon as the advent of the rapid test came out and the Biden administration started sending eight of them per household to each, you know, eight tests per household out, all those rapid tests that you mentioned, nobody, nobody called the county and said, hey, I'm, I'm positive. I want to report myself. I need to isolate. That didn't happen. And then as soon as the care, so the numbers come down artificially because you get a lot of ones that aren't being reported. As soon as the CARES Act expired, you went back to exactly what we had to do in the beginning. No symptoms, no tests. Right now, if you came into my office and did not have one of those symptoms, I cannot test you for COVID. However, you remember 90% of my patients had no symptoms whatsoever. So there's a lot of COVID floating around right now that I can't test for. That's what makes COVID disappear. The government, just by happenstance, just by instituting something like the CARES Act or giving away rapid tests in, in, in droves, can make the COVID numbers disappear just like that. COVID is still out there. COVID is, is very, we actually had a, a little bit of a spike over the last month or so. And um, it is out there, but I can't test you unless you come in with a cough. And that's fine because that's the traditional way we go back to medicine, but that's not giving me any data. That's not allowing me to tell you again that there's thousands of cases out there, but they're all asymptomatic. I can't tell you that. The CARES Act helped me put that data into perspective for you. And do you think that just the sheer amount of people like myself who, if we did get it, it was asymptomatic, and so we just never got tested, do you think the people like that and then the uh, amount of home tests that were sent out and taken and people not going in to get tested, do you think that if all of those people had been tested this whole time, that maybe the survival rate that we have on the books for COVID might be even higher? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because they're not reporting. I mean, that was kind of the, the thing. If you looked at, again, if you took just my patient population and looked at nine, uh, the, the 4,000 positives that I had 
we didn't lose one patient. So my survival rate is, you know, 100%. The death rate is 0.00. Um, the asymptomatic rate was about between 85 and 90%. Uh, and the folks that needed medical attention, it was four out of 4,000. So do the math. I mean, it's, it's like, so if you just looked at my data set alone, you realize that what they were portraying in the news of doom and gloom and the death count and CNN, you know, MSNBC death count, Fox did it too. There were a lot of networks that were culpable in this thing because it was purely, it, it, it was, it was just, how do you do that? I guess it's about ratings, but I mean, it, they scared folks. They scared a lot of older folks. They scared people like my mom who still won't leave the house. She still wears masks in stores and stuff. You know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's pure stupidity. Yeah. And That's, it's especially hard to watch um, the, the older people in your life, like continue to live out the last years of their life in fear and in this like state of panic, but you can, you can only do so much to convince someone of something once they're kind of stuck on it. Um, one person wanted me to ask you now that we've delved into a little bit of the political side of things. One person wanted me to ask you uh, what you thought about the idea that um, some of the COVID-19 vaccines that people took uh, perhaps on camera, like some of the politicians, some of the celebrities, um, people were speculating that some of that was placebo and that they were just, you know, having something like water injected into them. Nothing like that was actually the COVID-19 what, what, vaccine. What's your, what's your listener's name? Um, I believe that one was Jennifer. Jennifer, no one has ever asked me that question before on an interview, and I do a lot of these, but that is a very smart question because I had said that privately. Uh, I, when, when, when Biden got the shot on TV, I said, there's no way that the Secret Service is giving the President of the United States an untested mRNA vaccine. They have no idea. We have no studies on this. There is no way they're, they're giving him this vaccine. And I said that with a lot of folks. That is a great question. I just we kind of said it privately, you know, amongst ourselves. And write that in the book, and we don't talk about it on interviews. But uh, great question. I, I personally believe that there's no way. I mean, I didn't get vaccinated. Um, there's a lot of folks. Nobody in my office got vaccinated, and a lot of that has to do with we didn't force them. There were a lot of workplaces that forced people to get vaccines, and I told my friends I, I would quit. Um, you know, that, that's an, another conversation about how critical mass and, you know, where we are as a society, where we let this happen to us uh, when we kind of knew. And by the way, I did not recommend the vaccine in the beginning. Uh, well, I didn't, we never recommended a vaccine, but I want to make this clear. I did not not recommend the vaccine because I thought it was going to have detrimental effects. We didn't recommend the vaccine because it didn't work. Uh, we, we knew that, that you were going to need more of these, that it worked like a flu shot. We didn't know how, how much, um, we didn't know how much protection somebody would get, if any, uh, from this vaccine, but vaccines are very different. I, I can't, I can't stand the other side politically. When, when you say, you know, you say something negative about the vaccine and they go, Oh, you're anti-vax. Well, no, I mean, I had a hep V vaccine a couple of years ago because I work in healthcare, MMR, all that stuff. I, these vaccines are very different. Um, there's different types of vaccines. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine that was out, and and, and I only have, I, I only have experience with the three of them: Johnson, Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer. I have no experience with any of the others: the AstraZeneca's, blah blah blah. The J and J shot is a viral vector vaccine that is very old, proven technology. And by the way, we see the least amount of issues with the J and J vaccine. So when someone came in the office and said, "I absolutely have to have one," uh, what do you recommend? I'd say, "Well, if you're going to get it." First of all, I wouldn't get it. And I try to talk about it. I say, if you, if you have to get it, get the J&J. You see, we see clotting from all three, but we see some really strange stuff going on with the mRNAs. And I can get into the sciences of the why, but I know you have some questions to get to. Um, it, yeah. It, 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 
it just doesn't work. It does. You, how do you use the word vaccine to an 80, 90 year old person who is expecting lifetime immunity when you are getting 120 day antibody response? That is, that is kind of misleading to say the least. Yeah. Well, kind of, kind of talking uh, about some of those side effects Um, in the book, you talk about seeing the things like heart issues and joint issues and the clotting and everything um, in the patients that came into you after getting the vaccine and they were experiencing those things and they were looking for something, anybody who knew anything that could help them. Um, And we've also, or at least I did and some people that I know did, we were hearing stories come out on social media, people posting blogs and whatever, mainly women saying, hey, I got vaccinated and uh, now my menstrual cycle is completely off. Now my hormones are completely off. And uh, these COVID-19 vaccines were also, oddly enough, I guess, being pushed on pregnant women, as though that's not a demographic that hasn't been experimented on enough. Um, but I guess with any of the traditional traditional vaccines, any of the vaccines that fall under the old definition of what a vaccine is, um, there is kind of that risk of, you know, they don't really know how it could affect your fertility. They don't, you know, it's just kind of like something that's put on there like, oh, wait, maybe, maybe not. Um, but is there any evidence that you know of that the vaccines negatively impact um, people's reproductive possibilities? Uh, I can tell you, I can't speak specifically to reproductive, but I can give you an overall, which might give you the answer. It, 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 what we see in practice is that the the spike protein travels around your system for at least two weeks and the ACE2 receptors pick up those spike proteins. And it, what we see is that it causes areas of inflammation in areas of instability. So if you have uh, an area in your body that is susceptible to something, uh, it may speed that up. It might cause an issue. So that's why you get people who might have, you know, osteoporosis or, or I don't know, joint issues, arthritis, things of that nature. And, you know, you might have somebody who's going to have a heart issue at 70 and all of a sudden now it's coming out at 40. It's expressing itself early. That's kind of what we're seeing. You can measure that when you look at things like myocarditis and pericarditis, but only most of the time on an incidental finding. What that means is most of these things are found not the day of the shot or the day after the shot. They're found a year later when someone goes to the doctor for something unrelated. And then all of a sudden we're doing a study and we're going, hey, this is new. Where did that come from? We're seeing this is new in abundance now. You're seeing a lot of cancers. You're seeing a lot, especially lymphoma. That's something that we're, you're not hearing yet, but we're talking about in private from practices to practices in different states. And that's, you know, this is kind of how it works. And it's not hearsay. I don't like to lead people. So I was in a conversation. We, we've been talking about the lymphoma thing here in New Jersey. I had a practitioner from uh, Boston uh, start to tell me about all these cancers they're starting to see in their hospital. And it's young people and it's in abundance. And I, I didn't, we're all looking at each other because we're talking about the same thing. But I don't ask leading questions. So I looked at her and I said, what, what type in particular, anything in particular? And she goes, lymphoma. And we all looked at each other because that's what we're talking about, lymphoma. So I try to, I try to when I'm looking at that, you first you start to hear things across the country from different practices, different practitioners, different, different could be anything. My immunologist, my virologist, we just start to talk. And then all of a sudden you start to see it in abundance and that's where studies start to take place. But you won't hear those studies for five years. They take that long to, to do. I mean, you could do a study in a year, but still, I mean, it, that's too little too late for some people, especially those that have been forced to go out and get a vaccine. So is there anything in particular for reproductive systems? Not specifically. 
But um, if you have something that is susceptible to being inflamed, uh, I I would keep tabs on your health. That's all I got to say. I wouldn't be too, too worried. Most younger people flake stuff off, but the, the hard stuff, we're starting to see that in abundance with, especially young males. Um, so you start to think, hey, COVID can, you know, COVID's not too bad for young people, but COVID is just as bad as the shot. Those cytokines that are rushing around are inflaming your body. And I write in the book, and you know this, if you went out and got two shots and then a booster and then you caught COVID, it's like kind of having COVID four times in one year. You wouldn't want to get the flu four times in one year. And by the way, you're not rushing out to get three or four flu shots in one year. Uh, we have suspended reality for COVID-19. And somehow the, the, the majority of the populace went along with this thing when the obvious was right in front of their faces the entire time. Well, personally, I was super skeptical um, when things just started being mandated, um, especially for like those of us who are not in the populations uh, that have um, a ton of comorbidities. Initially, when everything started happening, it was like, oh, OK, well, what is this virus? Uh, the world's shutting down. It's a little scary. You know, I was working in fast food at the time, so I was an essential worker, whatever that means. And uh, I'm like, how does that make sense? It's it's essential for me to show up and serve burgers. Right. OK. Um, but they printed out letters for each one of us in case we got pulled over on the way home for being out and about um, so that they would know that we were either to or uh, going to or from work. And in those first few weeks, they would say, oh, uh, well, no masks. And then they would go, oh, masks. And then, oh, no, it's up to you. And then it was, okay, never mind. We're going to require masks from this point forward until we get, you know, any word. And I remember uh, my mom, I would walk in the door coming home from work and she'd be like, okay, strip, clothes go in the washing machine. We don't know what's going on. But within, I guess, maybe a couple of weeks, my family was already like decompressing from the shock factor and going, this isn't adding up. This isn't making sense. And so as things kept dragging out and dragging out, like you talk about in your book, the 15 days to slow the spread turned into more and more and more and more and more. Um, you know, it, it was just it was baffling my mind and it just didn't make sense on the most basic level. And I was like, if they're having to force people and they're pushing this vaccine like I've never seen anything be pushed like that before. I'm like, I, I think I'm just going to wait and see what is going on. You know, I, I tell my staff whenever I hire a new staffer, I tell them one thing that's really important. I said, there's there's one way to always be right and not in a narcissistic way. There's one way to always be right, and it's, it's to never give an answer that you don't know the answer to. So, And I tell them, look, if, if I ask you a question and you give me an erroneous answer just for the sake of trying to not look dumb and you want to impress me, but you're wrong and I find out you're wrong later, I'm going to question everything you ever say. And you you don't want to be in that position in, in, in my office because, you know, now, now I, I don't know if you, you don't understand what you're talking about. I treat the government the same way and, and scientists the same way, you know. Six feet, that doesn't make sense. I quote Dr. Lydia Baruba in the book from MIT who did a study on breathing in a room. She high-speed film, cameras. 27.2 feet was the number she came up with, not six feet. We're making up numbers here. When they told everybody to wear a mask on the plane, I flew twice a week. Uh, they didn't say 
wear a properly fitted N95 mask on the plane. They just said a mask, a face covering. Well, that doesn't make sense scientifically. So when they start to say stuff that doesn't make sense, you start to question everything they do. And then once you start to question everything they do, you find holes. It's like the PhD who digs into the paper that's doing a peer review and finds a million holes in it and starts to disprove everything that's in the paper. That's fine. That's what. That's why you do peer review. Uh, and that's kind of what happened with this thing. We talk about the mask. The mask is the second dumbest thing I've ever seen in my career. We, we don't wear cloth masks for Virons. And I try to explain to people, and you know this from reading it, but it's not duct taped to your face. You're not using the filter. We're sitting here ha having conversations about the filter for months and months and months. The problem is we're not using the filter. You'd have to duct tape it to your face to actually breathe through the filter. You're breathing through the path of least resistance. That's why I see people's eyeglasses fog up. But, I mean, we're, you know this now, but we're telling people this in the first week or two or three of, of the mask thing. Nobody's paying attention. Well, it's got to have some appreciable effect. Now there's a study that came out from a, uh, I think it was an epidemiologist. They questioned Dr. Fauci on it the other day on CNN. And I've been talking about it on TV for a couple of weeks now, uh, maybe for about two weeks, about this this study that showed that the mass had no appreciable value whatsoever. And it was in the studies, correct. But they, they asked Dr. Fauci, well, it had some kind of personal effect. No, it, it, it really didn't. Most of the folks that wore those things, they were breeding ground for other for bacteria. And most of the time we would see people coming in with staph aureus, staph infection all the time from wearing these masks. I had a guy uh, about a year and a half ago that I talk about in the book who had COVID, staph, H flu, and RSV all at the same time. That goes back to proper testing, respiratory pathogen panels, knowing what you're identifying. But most of the time they were coming in with extra things because they're wearing these masks all day. I, in the first couple of weeks of calling positive patients daily, I would call them up and say, Adelia, it's Mike from my Wellness Express. Just wanted to let you know I got a positive result. I heard more patients say to me, I don't understand how I have it. I've been masked the whole time and I just want to roll my eyes. Then the conversation a year later shifted to, you know, you're positive and they'd say, how, how am I positive? I, I've been fully vaccinated here. I go rolling my eyes again because we're telling our patients this. We're tell, I'm telling my friends this, what we see and how to how to how masks properly work and all this fun stuff. But nobody wanted to listen that what you heard on TV was wasn't just false. It was like it was like made up. I mean, I don't know why. Let's wear three masks. Let's wear five masks. You got to breathe oxygen to live, right? But here we are using something that is a cloth mask. It, when you understand viruses and how they transmit, and I do explain particle size in the book, 0.25 microns or less, you are not settling by gravity. It only takes one live particle to infect you. Let's it's adenovirus, and I think it's six particles. But for COVID, for influenza A, it's one live particle. You can fit 500 million on a pinhead. Think about that. When you have somebody symptomatic in a room, you are literally walking amongst millions and billions of particles, one live particle, and you're done. You are not filtering them out. Even if it's duct tape to your face, that 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 uh, surgical mask is rated for three microns. These are 0.1. So if you were using the filter, you're not filtering them out, but you're not using the filter. If Even if you had a properly fitted N95 mask, which is your best bet against viruses, that's rated for one micron. That'll filter out some of the particles. The momentary lapse where you just scratch your nose and you break that seal, you've rendered it useless. So we, we, we really should have just been telling people the truth from the beginning, but we're forcing kids to wear masks in school. The suicide rate is going through the roof. We were just doing dumb upon dumb upon dumb. It's the best way I can explain it. I don't have a better word for it. This was pure stupidity the entire time. And again, we could have avoided this entire exercise if we were just honest with people. How do viruses transmit? What's the timeline? Three years into this, I still have to explain this to patients. I could have gone on TV three years ago for a half hour, explained viruses last in your system for 14 days. It is improper to keep testing for COVID once you have it. I always tell my patients, do you go back to the doctor when you have the flu to say, am I over the flu? No.
it is blatantly irresponsible to send a police officer as a chief back to me 20 times for a negative COVID test. You can test positive for up to 90 days. You're shedding dead cells. You are not contagious. These things, these little things at this point in this pandemic, really everybody in the country should know. And that's why I put it all in here. It gets tiring, right? Having this conversation every single day. It's like, come on, read the book. It's right there. Oh, no, I'm sure. I know that uh, once things have been going on for like at least a year, like I, I was just sitting there and it was still a topic of conversation every single day. It didn't matter what group of people I was around. I at some point hit hit, hit a wall. And every time I was home and my parents would bring up, I would just be like, can we talk about something else? Or I'm just going to leave the room because I, I was so tired of talking about it. And as I'm sure you clearly got after explaining it to patients day in and day out. So, no, definitely summarized all in that book. But one of the things that you did say um, that you did talk about a little bit in the book was just the amount of health problems that people neglected to take care of during the lockdowns, during the times when pr general practitioners, doctor's offices just decided to shut down and close their doors for a while. Um, and just the fact that people kind of like, unless it was COVID, people were kind of like not taking it seriously. Right. Like people were only scared of COVID for whatever reason. Um, I, you know, I was working for a while during that time and I would have, uh, I have very sensitive skin. I get heat reactions uh, where I break out in hives or my lips swell up or my throat swells up. And um, while I was working in a fast food restaurant, wearing a mask every day, wearing gloves, it's hot, it's summer, um, just the friction of the mask would cause my lips to swell up and I would start to have an allergic reaction to the heat and the friction. And I got sent home from work so many times for that happening. And when I did go see a doctor about it, their solution was just, well, just take some antihistamines. And I was like, can we just stop wearing the masks? Because I don't think they're doing anything. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of the whole point. If you take the overall view, like why are, why are we still doing stupid? When I, when I walk into a doctor's office now and they have that plastic thing up, I, I walk out. If you don't understand science, why would I trust your scientific opinion? You know, we're all perpetuating stupid for the sake of perpetuating a narrative because they think it makes people feel better. And then, then you and I who know better really need to stand up and say, no, uh, that is the only time it works. Actually, my friend Adam came in today for, well, he's not feeling too well. And uh, we're a little bit further away from his his other doctor. And he called and said, can I come in? I said, sure. I just thought he was coming in. Uh, after he came in, it he said to me, he said, I called my primary care doctor. And um, they said, well, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, I have a cough and I have some respiratory stuff. And they said, okay, well, just so you know, when you come in, just please put a mask on. And he said, no, I won't be doing that. I'm not coming there anymore. He hung up and called. I didn't know that until he came in. I said, good for you. Like if we had all done that in the beginning, maybe we would have gotten this, you know, through this sooner. It, we had, you know, you got, you got people who aren't medical professionals whatsoever, don't analyze data, don't do this for a living whatsoever, telling you, giving you medical advice, whether it's to wear a mask on a plane or, you know, it's just after when you do this for a living, you, you just laugh. I mean, you look at them and you're rolling their eyes. Your audience, my friends at this point, and I know as Christians, we're taught to forgive. And I've said this on multiple interviews, but we should all be pretty angry right now that they put us through this. And somebody really should be held responsible. Somebody's culpable. There's a lot of culpable people. But at, at some point, even though these folks in the government, the media are doing this, and believe me, they have a lot of blame. We're adults. Um, you figured it out pretty quick. 
there, you know, there, there's, there's other adults out there who, who still haven't figured it out. Uh, and, and, and I used to feel bad for them. I used to feel bad for the, the, the woman in the car wearing a mask by herself. Now I don't because it, it, the virtue signaling that goes on with these people, I mean, they're the ones that caused my inflation, my gas prices, just about everything in the world to go up. The, the Biden administration didn't take very long to screw up a good thing in this country. Um, so I have to be upset with other adults who can't look at logic and say, OK, they want to continue to further a narrative because it's a virtue thing or they, you know, it, it, I, whatever it is, it's just it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I'm not going to go along with it. So I'm glad Adam called his doctor and said, no, I'm not doing that. He stuck up for himself. I think if enough of us did that. Um, we wouldn't have had to go through this exercise, but it, where, where's the critical mass, right? Is it is it 50%? Because I don't think it's 50%. I think if half of us said no and half of them said yes, the half of us said no, that would have lost. Even though the ones that said no were right. I write in the book that we're the guys and gals that get burned at the stake for saying that the world is round and uh, they, they, they burn it. They burn, literally will kill you. And then, you know, 100 years later, they go, well, they were right, but they laugh about it. Well, what for what? You know, to disrupt society and our kids' education. And, and how many 90-year-old birthdays, I wrote about that, that I had to watch in assisted livings because their families couldn't come in. And those folks later died, not of COVID, but of depression, of old age, of whatever it was. And we kept these families separated for what? For a fallacy? We should be absolutely upset beyond belief. And I know what you said. Everybody has COVID fatigue. Everybody's tired of talking about it. But that's the problem in this country. It's a problem with the world. It's human nature to want a, the easy path to, to get back to normalcy and not have to, I don't want to deal with COVID anymore. What, we, we literally shut the world down for almost three years. To not have a conversation about that is reprehensible. We should be talking about this until we figure it out. Because if we don't, we're going to repeat the exact same actions if this ever happens again. Well, and people seem to not only not be talking about it or not be wanting to talk about it anymore, but they seem to be slowly forgetting just how insane everything was. They seem to be forgetting those little moments of being harassed by their doctor or harassed by some grocery store worker or they, like it's just it's like it's like, OK, well, things have been normal for a few months or for almost a year or wh whatever, depending on where you live. And so now it's okay to just not talk about it and not remember what happened and not hold people accountable. And that's something that I've talked about on my podcasts, podcast before is, you know, we can't just forget. I mean, you said, you know, as a Christian, it's like, you know, the, the forgiveness factor, like it's hard to kind of gauge where we're supposed to land here. But I think for a lot of people, there, there was frustration or there was hurt or there was both. And it's kind of either fizzled out for some people or it's kind of transformed itself into a bit of anger for a lot of us and it's like okay what are we going to do with that anger are we just going to sit around and fume or are we going to talk about it and not forget about how we were taken advantage of and how some of us uh fed into a narrative that kind of screwed us all over in the end <laughs> I, I hate to bring up another, uh, you know, analogy from the Bible, but I will because I think there's a there's a stark difference when when Jesus was dying on the cross, and um, uh, I think it was uh, somebody else was uh, there. The three of them that were being uh, that were being crucified, um, and he said something about forgiveness, and uh, he looked up at his father, and I don't remember the line exactly, but it basically it was like, Father, they they know not what they do, um, because those folks didn't know what they were doing; they were just kind of following orders. Uh, these folks knew what they were doing. 
there's a difference. There's a big difference. And I, I could forgive them if they didn't know what they were doing and they were trying to act in their best interest and they were just wrong. But for me to know um, in a month, I was calling, I was trying to talk people off a ledge in the first month from, you understand sick people go to the hospital, right? I'm doing police department, school districts, the rando that's calling me down the street. Hey, I don't feel good. And then I'm testing his whole family. I'm finding out he's sick, but their whole family has it. And the rest of them aren't sick. When you do that for a living every day, it doesn't take long to spot trends and you start looking at the data and analyzing and crunching the numbers. It's not, it's not hard. Um, you're talking to folks at the hospital who are only getting sick people. And for it took them a couple months to catch up to me because they're calling me seeing doom and gloom and saying, I'm putting people in body bags. Well, there's a reason why people died in the beginning of COVID. The, no the novelty of the virus and the fact that we didn't know how to treat it. And we were actually doing more harm than good using some of the treatments we were using. Um, so it didn't take long to do this, but it took them months to catch up because purely of what they were seeing. So I had to explain to them and draw an outline and basically, you know, give them my visual of what I'm seeing. Here's how many I, you know, did this month and they're all fine. Uh, you know, here's the most serious of symptoms. Nobody went to the hospital. Most of them were asymptomatic. You're trying to explain, like everybody has this thing. That took a while for people to get in their heads because the media kept going with the hospital narrative or whatever narrative they wanted to go with at that point. So the folks that, uh, for me to know this and what's in here is, it, it, I have to think that the folks on the, in the CDC, the Fauci's of the world and the Berks's of the world knew that. And uh, I, look, you get into the political narrative. People ask me all the time, and I don't write about politics in the book, but I just got asked a question yesterday on, uh, on Fox, on Jimmy Fallon, and he said, and he actually started with this. He said, do you think uh, there was an agenda? And I said, well, I don't write that in the book, but if you look at the data, it's obvious at this point. It's, whether, whether they intent, a lot of people think they intentionally went there. I think they just took something and exploited it. Because if you remember this, no one was talking about it in this country. This was, this was in China. This was in Europe. It was real. I just think they took the opportunity and exploited it. And I say that COVID-19 or COVID, whatever you want to call it, COVID wouldn't have been COVID if it didn't happen during the election. Like, you know, H1N1 isn't H1N1. It's, just, you know, it's another thing on our panel, just like, you know, flu A, flu B, flu C. They're, all those things are on our panel, but RSV is just on the panel. It's not RSV. You know, you know where I'm going with this. Um, they, I think they definitely exploited for political gain. Uh, it, 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 it's not hard to see. And by the way, if they start coming out with another um, CARES Act where they want to people not drive those numbers, they don't realize that the people don't realize that your listeners will. That's exactly what it's going to do. It's going to drive the numbers up for them to say, hey, maybe we should go to mail-in ballots this year and separate every money. If they start going in that direction, look out. Um, and we need to say no, because if they did paint the election last time. And by the way, I saw 2000 mules. I love Dinesh D'Souza and anybody who hasn't seen that movie, I would highly encourage you to watch it. That is another discussion we should have in this country. If you want to delve into politics, um, th the fact that the other side will call you names, racist, bigot, whatever they want to call you, they will call you names to try to discredit you just for trying to have the conversation about the election. Same thing in COVID. All these doctors got this, you know, uh, Dr. Simone Gold uh, from America's Frontline Doctors had her license taken away in California. She just got it back. But you, you've disrupted someone's livelihood, her family. Somebody should be held accountable for that. That is not if you knew and you were doing that for political gain, I can't forgive you for that. You need to be held accountable so that that never happens again to anybody else in this country. So many people have uh, adapted 
after having their life completely disrupted, after losing their losing their source of income, after losing their housing, after losing, uh, you know, their education, after losing whatever it was that they lost due to the decisions that people made in their handling of COVID. Um, and, you know, a lot of those people have, you know, either found a different career path or they've, you know, they've moved on from that. They're good now. But a lot of people aren't. And, you know, it, it was really hard on a lot of people who experienced that. I mean, I was personally in the boat of I graduated high school 2020. I was attending a university or I was supposed to be attending in person, but it was online for that, you know, first year. And then I was put into a constant flip-flop of, oh, well, it's going to go back to normal. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And then uh, they decided that they were going to stop doing online altogether. And it had to be, you had to be on campus. But in order to be on campus, you had to wear a mask everywhere except your dorm, unless your roommate wanted you to wear one in your dorm. Um, and yeah, medical you, expert, your roommate, right? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I trust the other, you know, 19 year old in the room at the time, you know, like what? Um, but it was it was one of those situations where, you know, they wanted me to wear a mask everywhere. They wanted me to uh, get the COVID-19 vaccine and then the boosters. And they wanted me to live in a medical facility 24 seven is what it felt like. And, um, you know, I went back and forth with the dean and the provost. I wrote letters. I articulated my thoughts well. All the stuff that, you know, you're supposed to do in those scenarios, especially from a religious standpoint where you, you know, go, hey, I already wasn't going to do this. And, you know, but uh, I was pretty much shut down and told I could comply or transfer, which left me, you know, my family did not have a place for me at the time. I was uh, staying somewhere temporarily until I was supposed to go off to school. So I lost my housing. I lost my job that I had secured up there. And I lost my education for that year and eventually decided to withdraw because they couldn't tell me I could come to campus. Wow. Um, but there were people who were experiencing those same things who had to provide for a whole family on top of that, you know, or who had already gone to school for seven, eight, nine years, however long it took them to get their medical degree or their certifications and stuff, who were experiencing that same thing on a whole nother level. And so just to forget all that and pretend that, you know, everything's fine now is a little ridiculous yeah i mean you, you said you were talking about they wanted you to get the vaccine they wanted you to wear a mask they wanted you to do this they is is is, is interesting because you know i i find that we live under their rule all the time it's it's always they and i read in the book that my friend david says this and it's a great line if you think about it the average iq in this country is 100 so if you really think about that half the population has an iq of less than 100 now I'm not talking about folks who you know are are challenged. I'm talking about just, I'm talking about the 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 everyday idiots that are walking down the street. But the everyday idiot that's walking down the street is the one that has a louder voice than us, uh, because just because they can be loud doesn't mean they're right. But they're the ones that are for enforcing their rule. They're the ones that created the critical mass that forced us to wear masks on planes. That forced you to do it in your in your dorm room, uh, if if your roommate wanted it, or forced people to get vaccines. Uh, that were unproven, that had no data. And all of a sudden, you know, no one was asking anybody who did this for a living. I had a doctor I talk about in the book who I, I, I had a conversation with who was a cardiologist. And he said at dinner one night, he said, I, I recommend, I used to recommend the vaccine all the time, but I don't anymore once I started seeing the issues. And I looked at him, I said, are you, what, what's wrong with you? Like I called him some choice words. 
and uh, he's, he was looking at me like, what, 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 where are you going with this? And I said, well, dude, you're a cardiologist. Like, I'm primary care. And we actually did, like, a, a mass amount of dealing with COVID and COVID testing over these years. Your, your answer to your patient at that point should have been, I don't know. Um, let's go consult someone who does know. We don't do that enough in this country. We don't do that enough in the world. It's called cognitive distortion. As I said with my my staff earlier, don't give me a, a, a you know an answer that's erroneous because I'm going to question you. And these folks have caused us to um, question the CDC, question the medical profession now because it, we've lost faith in all these people, and rightfully so. They they were wrong, and they were wrong without having any data to tell you why. They never asked. Folks in in life should ask the question based on what. Right. If you're going to recommend something, tell me based on what. And if it's just CDC bylines and you have no experience with it, I might go seek a second opinion. We need to do more of that in life. But we live under their rule. And if you think about it, 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 they vote a certain way. And now we're living with their inflation and we're living with their gas prices. And I go to the food store, fill up a cart. It's like three times as much as it used to be. I'm laughing because it's so absurd. But we are suffering under the hands of a lot of everyday idiots that don't look at real data, don't look at and have real conversations and have discussions. They're acting on emotion. It, it is not their job to tell you to wear a mask, nonetheless get a vaccine. Um, maybe they should mind their own business. But we, 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 we fear it goes back to human nature, Adelia. Like it, it you know, it, it's the ones that stuck their neck out that got that got killed, right? Those are the ones that back in in you know caveman times, uh, those are the ones that got that got eaten uh, by the predators. But if you stuck together in groups, there was safety in numbers, and we we are just not strong enough as a society to say no. So it's good that you know you, we have people like you have shows like this that we can actually have a discussion about it. But um, you know, I don't. We don't need to be louder. We just need to be smarter than them. But we need to act on that at some point. No, that's exactly it. I'm very glad that we've had the chance to have this discussion. Um, I don't know if you have a few extra minutes or not, sure. because I have so much that we didn't get to. Hopefully. I had a feeling we wouldn't get to all of it, but <laughs> I did do adequate prep as far as seeing what people were curious about. Now, uh, you talk a little bit in the book about um, the distrust that people now have in the CDC, in the medical field, like you were just talking about. Um, and I've seen a lot of people, especially like in communications that I have with the newspaper I write for, people will write in all the time. They want you to tell their personal story, right? And the a lot of people have shared their experiences of being discriminated against because they didn't get the COVID vaccine. And a lot of them, it's by hospitals and by their general practitioners and by people in the medical field who they've been seeing for like the last decade or they've been taking their kids to for years now and or it's simply something like their their kid had an emergency and they brought them to the local ER and weren't permitted to get a specific treatment because they weren't vaccinated. I live right now near a lot of Mennonite communities here in Tennessee and you know they they don't do much with western medicine but uh when they do it's usually pretty serious there was a family who had a new baby and that new baby needed some sort of um organ transplant i don't or you know they needed a donor um but the hospital that that baby was at the children's hospital would not let the baby have uh, an organ donation if that baby was not vaccinated yeah. And um, and it was a horrible time for their family because they were fighting back and forth. They were like, well, this is what we've always believed. This is what, you know, our community requires of, of us. This is what our church requires of us. But 
our baby's gonna die if we don't adhere to what this hospital is telling us. And I always think experiences like that are so crazy. And then when I read your story in the book about showing up to a doctor's office yourself and seeing that they had, you know, the plastic up and you were like, okay, you're still doing all this, never mind. Um, I laughed uh, because I'm like, I, during all of this, even in 2021, I was, I was calling doctor's offices before I would go in. I was like, I don't wear a mask. Um, I'm just checking to see if you guys require this. And there were multiple times where they would tell me and reassure me over the phone. No, that's totally fine. Come on in. I would get there and I would walk out in tears because of whatever scenario happened because they did require it and they wouldn't see me. I went to an eye doctor for a basic eye exam so that I could get a new pair of glasses. And um, everybody in the like receptionist area, um, they, they weren't wearing masks. I wasn't wearing a mask. It was all good. It was all fine. I went in to see the actual eye doctor and he was in a room with me and he was like, I need you to put this on. And I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, they told me that I didn't have to wear one. And he was like, he was like, no, he's like, I won't see. He's like, if you don't put one on, you have to leave the room. He's like, I only see okay. people. So then I'm you, and tell me who to bill for my time. That's what yeah. I would have said. Tell me who to send the bill for. Cause my time is as valuable as yours, if not more. I think you have to expose these people at some point. I don't mean, look, they get away with canceling people all the time. I, I don't know. I don't know how based on zero, uh, I commend you for standing up, but you know, we need to do that. You need to tell these people. I, first of all, I wouldn't go to that doctor. Um, oh, I, I left and I did not go back. And my parents um, shared their opinions on the phone with this particular. And, and you should, and I would do it right in front of them and say, I'm never coming back here. If, I, if you don't understand science, I'm not going to trust your scientific opinion. Where did you get your you know, your degree from? Um, uh, no, I'm not coming here. And I'll feel free to tell everybody that I, I don't trust your office and they shouldn't either. I, I, I it, it is it is just blatant stupidity. I, like I said in the beginning, I used to feel bad. Now, now you have to kind of point it out and say no. When are we going to stand up for ourselves and say no? I mean, we have the information. It, we talk about how masks work, and I went through a little bit of that here. The, I, the chapter I wrote on masks is to me it's funny, but there's a lot of science in there. It really breaks it down so that you understand masks in totality and how they work. Um, it, these people don't even they couldn't answer a basic question on. COVID or any, probably any other respiratory pathogen are trying to force things on you and I. It's, it's, we got to say no. Remember the, remember when you're going through the, um, the supermarket and they had the arrows going one mm -hmm. way and the arrows going the other way. I mean, we have done some really dumb things over the last couple of years, but we've let it happen. Um, I, I never enforced, I never had a mask mandate in my office ever in any of my offices. And I would, if I had a practitioner who wanted to do it, I would laugh at them and then I would take them back. I would sit down and we would explain the whole thing. If you wanted to continue to do it, fine. But if, as I'm presenting you the scientific information on it, if you did it after that, I kind of roll my eyes, most of them did. Um, but we never had a mask mandate in our office. I would have patients walk in, look at us and yell and say, why aren't you wearing masks? I said, because we don't perpetuate stupidity. We'd rather teach you the, the real science so that you can live your lives and feel better. Um, that is not going to help you in this situation. You're, you're, they were probably in the worst situation walking into my office because I'm literally testing 100 COVID people a day. And without proper ventilation, it's floating around the office. So we tried to ventilate it as best we could. But your worst place to be is in a doctor's office or a hospital when you're testing for COVID to try to avoid COVID. But, you know, you can't turn these folks away. Um, 
I don't know. I just, I, I can't anymore with that. It, it is just, it, we have this information. That's again, why I put it in the book. It's right here. There is no excuse for us not to know this, but this stuff was out there. But what I talked about in this book, Adelia, I did a podcast on, um, that's why I love podcasts. These are records. Uh, Mike Calderese, Calderese Unleashed. If you ever get the opportunity, it's a, it's like two hours long. It's episode 101. We recorded it in August of 2021. And 90% of what's in this book was in that was on that podcast. There, We've known this for a long time. Now I got to deal with uh, Amazon, current events. I deal with this on social media. When we put a post, I put a post up yesterday of an interview and I tagged the interview. I also did a second post for my assistant, Caitlin. It was her birthday. So I just put a picture up of Caitlin. She had 122 people the last time I looked, liked it, multiple comments. The, the book with the interview that I did, like five people saw it. I mean, it, you can tell when something's getting suppressed. Uh, do they want the information? Probably not. This doesn't make Fauci look great. But I mean, we've known this stuff for a long time and you and I are trying to talk, you know, I don't know how many you know viewers you get. I hope you get millions of viewers, but you know, the, the object, when I go, even I, when I do a radio show on Fox news, I don't know if it's five people listening or, or you know, 500,000 people listening. You just one at a time. That's why I never, I do these all the time. You never know who you're talking to. Uh, but unless your listeners will then spread the word and then spread the word and then spread the word, what are you doing? You know, it's, we have to talk about it. We have to have this conversation. Yeah. Well, don't, don't, I didn't say this. Um, I would never, but as far as the little uh, six foot things that everybody had in their stores all over the floor and they were all over the streets uh, in downtown Dallas where I was living around at the time. Um, as far as all that goes, I would never, but I may have heard of some not so, um, left-leaning teenagers who were just so fed up with all of the COVID stuff that every once in a while, one of those little circles might have gone missing and ended up on somebody's wall for decoration. I don't know, but I heard. Um, but yeah, I, I used to, I used to shake my head at those. I, I just can't anymore. It's, it's, I don't know. And who's making up these rules? You know, is it the president of United Airlines? Is it the CEO of Coke and Pepsi? Like who, I don't know who's making up these rules. And, and you, you go, what kind of, nobody has read Dr. Baruba's study from MIT. Nobody, nobody understands particle size and air fluidity. These aren't people recommending those little circles based on that. They're just doing it because everybody else is doing it. So it's, it looks good. Uh, it's societally conscious. It's letting everybody know it's the virtue signaling. It's just letting everybody know that your company, your organization is fully on board with whatever the government is happy to force on you. you That's it. exactly what it is. All right. Well, I'll ask you one more question and then I will let you go. Um, if somebody catches COVID-19 this week and they develop symptoms, what would you recommend that they do? Same thing I recommended this week alone uh, to patients who have caught it. Uh, vitamin C, double, uh, three to 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C, double dose of D, zinc. Make sure you are drinking, getting your electrolytes. If you are dehydrated, uh, I recommend Pedialyte or Gatorade, halving it. Uh, that will definitely help. You can rotate between Tylenol and Advil for any aches, pains, or fever. Uh, we used to think Advil flared it up, as I'm sure you read in the book, but we learned that it did not. Uh, if you get any uh, other you know, debilitating symptoms. When I say debilitating, it's, it's very subjective for everybody, but please see a practitioner that knows what they're doing. Um, I would not take Paxlovid. We see a lot of a rebound effect from that, but 
uh, you'll be like, I, I will, I, and I kind of, you know, say that with a smirk when someone does get sick, I go, you'll be fine. Like all the rest of us, you'll be fine. I've had it three times. Um, my, I'll give you a quick one. My, my, my fiance, um, she lost her hearing in her ear. The first time she had COVID, her, it affected the cytokines rush there. It affected her hearing. She, this is probably what you'll see in the future that, you know, when she's 70 or 80 years old, she probably won't have much hearing in her left ear, but it affected that. And it was something we remembered. Uh, it lasted for quite a while. Now, about, I don't know, six months, eight months ago, uh, we were kind of out of the COVID, you know, sphere. We weren't doing it every day. We're doing this stuff now, everything, med spy, everything else that we do. And she just mentioned to me, she goes, my ears bother me today. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And I forgot about it because we're all busy. I'm doing, you know, podcasts with the Daily Kirchner and stuff like that. And um, about three days later, she said, you know, my ears still really bother me. So I go, I wonder, I wonder if it's COVID. And she looked at me, she goes, no, come on, really? And I go, yeah, I wonder if it's COVID. So I go, let's come, we'll go to the office. So I tested her and said, <laughs> the next day I called her, I go, guess what? Came back positive. I said, you got COVID. She goes, no way. I said, yeah, it, you, can, you can start to, when you've done it as long as I have done it, you can spot the trends. She didn't develop any other symptoms except it was bothering her ear. Um, and you know, when your listeners read the book and you'll understand that most of your listeners have probably had this multiple times, if not, you know, you don't know, you've never been tested, but some of them have, um, when you build a, a natural immunity, that B and T lymphocyte, you're building memory cells to it. You're reacting the next time to the spike protein when it mutates. Uh, there's a lot of science in here, but like I said, when you look at it from the 30,000 foot view, I don't think you're going to worry as much when you get COVID. Uh, all of your listeners, you included, are going to get this again over the course of your lifetime. Do you need a vaccine to not get it? No, you're going to get it whether you have the vaccine or not. So why are you getting the vaccine? It's kind of stupid. Um, but what I would recommend is just be calm, uh, but be be cognizant that if someone else does catch it from you, they can get sick. If they're run down, if they're not eating right, they're not sleeping right, um, they're a little bit more run down than you, uh, traveling a lot like me. Uh, and they catch it, it could replicate in their system where it could make them feel crappy, just like RSV, just like a cold, just like a flu. So if you are sick, folks, th this this dumbed down the, the the dumber people, but it also dumbed down some of the smarter people because we're refusing to do certain things now just as like, a, you know, I want to not, you know, not participate. But if you're sick, stay home. <laughs> don't don't infect other people with a cold because if grandma is susceptible and, and I tell people this, if you're in the pool of population that can die in the next five years, a cold can bring you down, a flu can bring you down, COVID can bring you down. So when you're sick, stay home, don't go to work, but go to somebody and find out what it is so that you can document it and you know, and you can figure out what's best for your own health. Um, take those precautions in life. That's just basic common sense. But uh, we've realized that most people don't develop symptoms with a lot of these things. So you're probably walking around fighting off something. The, the cool thing about this, if you look at the WHO report for COVID specifically, was that asymptomatic spread was virtually zero. It's usually, the, it's always the symptomatic spread where it spreads and the r not goes through the roof. So it's not like we're all walking around and we're all going to keep infecting people. But when you get symptomatic with anything, stay home, get tested, figure it out, get treated, go back to life. And don't, you know, there, there doesn't need to be a political narrative when it comes to COVID or anything else. Medicine and politics should never mix. Uh, when they did and you witnessed it, uh, it, is, it is not a good story to tell at the end of the day because we'll be doing podcasts like this years later discussing why. <laughs> so Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. What about the, um, what about the ivermectin and the hydrochloroquine? Is that how you say it? I don't know. Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. Got I it. I, it's, it's, I know. I, um, 
so we didn't use hydroxychloroquine in our office. Uh, we did, I did not use ivermectin, but I did work with a doctor who did use it religiously, uh, swore by it. I did take uh, ivermectin the second time I had COVID. I was curious. Uh, what we found was, and I'm, I'm not a, I can't give you anything because I don't have my own data, but I can tell you what I saw from the other practices and what we did. Most of my folks, well, let me go back. If someone was sick and took ivermectin, a lot of times they would tell me they got better in two days and they felt fine. However, the folks that didn't take ivermectin usually felt better in two days and then felt fine. So I think, I, it, it, first of all, I get really tired of people calling it horse medication or vet medication. It is, it, is, it, it is and it's not. It was approved for human use in 1987. Just because it is also used in the veterinary practice does not mean that it is horse medication. And people who say that are irresponsible and blatantly, they, they need an education. Um, it is, it is, it, it works well in humans. It's an anti-parasitic drug. Anybody should have the right to try anything. Medicine is a practice. Doctors should have the right to try ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, whatever they think is appropriate that may work. Um, do I think it worked in practice? There are people that will swear by it. I have a lot of folks that have seen clinical data from clinics that I've worked with that will tell you it made no appreciable value. Uh, so I don't really have a personal opinion, but I am also of the type, and you've heard me this 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 hour that we've talked, is, is if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you I don't know. And that's what I'm telling you is I don't know. I can tell you a little bit of what I see, but don't have enough data on that one. Completely fair. That's a, that's about, I mean, I read the book, so I kind of uh, know the answers to some of your questions before I've asked them, but just so that uh, the people who might not pick up the book or might not pick up the book right away will kind of get a feel for the answers to their questions. I appreciate you going into a bit um, of that. <laughs> well, um, thank you for coming on to the show. Oh. This is Settle Rampage podcast, you guys. Um, this is Dr. Michael Schwartz's book, Fauci's Fiction how the government and modern medicine missed the boat on COVID-19 from day one. So as he's mentioned, you can order it on Amazon. You can look it up on Goodreads. You can do all that stuff and you should go get it so that you can see what it looked like, what the data looked like. I found it really interesting personally, especially those chapters on immunity and antibodies and the vaccines. So I, I would pick it up if I were you. I appreciate that. By the way, great stocking stuff for it fits right in. And it's a, you should every liberal in the world should have this. So if you got one of those in your family wearing a mask still, yeah, this is a great stocking stuffer. There's a few more words in there than there are in Michael Knowles's reasons to vote for Democrats. So, you know, if you're looking for a blank book, this one isn't it, but it's got some good stuff in there. So thank you, Mike. Thank you for coming on the show. I hope you have a great rest of your day. My pleasure. Thank you.